no one thing breaks somebody's back mm -hmm. or saves the day. Mm -hmm. But the idea of being intentional causes us to actually make our communication build people up, create yes. clarity, or I could just reply all and say, see below, <laughs> make you figure it out. Welcome to the Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst in the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are powered for impact. Welcome back to the podcast everybody it's great to have you my name is ron huntley i'm your host today and i'm very blessed to have with me my friend jeff shufflebein jeff is an entrepreneur and a catholic man who's in love for christ with christ he lives an incredibly passionate life and we're going to give you some tips today on how to live an undivided life welcome to the show jeff ron thanks this is awesome i'm so happy to be with you and um i think that we are kindred spirits in all of this so Takes one to know one. Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure. We spent some time previously getting to know each other, just kind of lining up with a podcast would make sense. And it took me about three seconds to figure out this is going to be a lot of fun, this podcast. And I, I'd love to start by asking, how did you come up with the name Undivided Life? I, or, or, you know, Live Undivided. Like, what's, what's yeah. that all about? So the company is called Undivided Life. And if I could rewind and tell you that I just spent the last 25 years launching companies of all different sorts, for-profit, non-profit, Christian, corporate, doing turnarounds for publicly traded companies. I've just been an entrepreneur, an entrepreneur, and a starter. And through trial and error, not having been formed very well, you know, I didn't really understand maybe the theology behind things or church history, but through trial and error, I found out what causes organizations to thrive, what causes a human being to feel dignified and challenged in work to a place where they become a co-creator with God, with whatever they're doing, you know, it doesn't have to be monumental. It's work is a formative process. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I started studying all these just church documents and teachings and listening to lectures. And then I realized like every one of these business books behind me, behind you, the principles they're based on the good ones, mm -hmm. nobody came up with it. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And for me, it's expressed experience through the sacraments of my Catholic faith. And so as I was reading all these documents and understanding it, it nailed me that we don't have to have the answers. We just have to play by the playbook. And mm -hmm. so kept talking about this full integration of self and not having to check yourself or your soul at the door. And that even people who didn't think or act like me, I wanted to know them deeply if I worked with them or if they were an employee of mine or if they were several rungs down the corporate ladder from me. Mm -hmm. I wanted to know them as a human being. I wanted to make connections for them and build the right relationships and communication structures so that they could thrive. Guess what happened along the way? Every time I did that the right way and followed the will of the Holy Spirit in connecting people to solve problems, tremendous breakthroughs, joy at work, fulfillment even when things were hard or life tragedies happening to somebody but they feel completely secure because they're surrounded by a team that's watching out for each other not watching out for number one so that integration of self and the i don't want to bifurcate these buckets of like how are you doing in work and personal and faith faith is the forefront of every one of those 
long, long story that I'm trying to tell you that about seven years ago, God gave me this amazing moment and I ended up on a live radio show that I do on Catholic radio here locally. I'm almost seven years into it. And as I was driving on a road trip with my wife and they said, hey, tell us, you know, do do you want your own show and what are you going to call it? I'm driving and my wife says, you are always talking about living with intention. Mm -hmm. You're always talking about living undivided. So that show, she said, call it undivided intention, a little play on words, and that you can't have undivided intention without you and I, like all this cool stuff. Beautiful. She's that smart. That was such a cool, oh, she, my, my wife makes me look like a genius. <laughs> <laughs> and so that keeps playing forward. And I realized that now I'm giving talks to the young Catholic professionals and La Goddess, mm-hmm. but I'm also giving talks to conscious capitalism and some association or a leadership team. And the theme of every single one of them was let's live an undivided life. Let's make work personal and let's understand what work is. So about a year and a half, two years ago, I'm on a jog and I keep thinking that I'm going to exit this other firm. I started an incredible energy consulting firm with some partners. It's a great story. It's a culture um, home run that continues to thrive. But I'm running. And you know, when you have that like aha moment, I'm trying to say the name of my company because I knew I was going to go do something more consultative, more speaking, that it wasn't just about energy. And I kept thinking if I name what I want to name it, which was, you know, that we get to, we don't have to, then it would look like if I wrote the word get to for the name of my company, I think people would misinterpret as ghetto, like the ghetto company. I'm like, that doesn't work. And I started seeing people's that URLs. That wasn't your wife's idea, wasn't it? Your wife no, didn't come up with that's that. That's how you know I didn't use it. But I started seeing those URLs, you know, it's .net, .co, .life. And I was like, .life? Well, I talk about the undivided life. So I stop my run, look up undivided.life. I was like, mm-hmm. that's the name of the company. The URL was a few thousand bucks. So mm-hmm. long before I had put any other pen to paper, I bought it knowing that I wanted my company to be, my URL to mm-hmm. be the full name of my company, Undivided Life. So Beautiful. that's the name. And, uh, man, maybe I just took us on 10 different tangents there, but I'm guilty. <laughs> Listen, I love it. Something I want to bring back to you. I just want to say this and get your response to it because I've heard this so many times, but I want to hear your perspective on it. Hey, listen, it's just business. <laughs> it's just business. Yeah, don't make it personal, Ron. I just, I just ripped you off, but it's just business. Yeah. I always talk in my speeches and my workshops about false narratives and that we believe them because they're hammered into us and the thing on the wall might say that you know, we respect your family time and you know your family matters but it's just business so suck it up and right. we start to go down that path if you spend this much time with human beings and don't treat them like human beings you treat them as just business you get the results that we see anxiety depression burnout turnover poor product, poor service, poor service, throw in quiet quitting, throw in all these fun terms people want to use. Mm. At the end of the day, what if it isn't just business? What if it's your life? What if actually work is the place that the output is just a detail? The purpose is to form you, the human being, and the purpose of a leader is to form many human beings to the best of their ability without neglecting their own priorities, mine of God, wife, kids, others. Now, all of a sudden, you give real agency to people. It's not just work. The thing that the task, the goal, the objective that I'm fully handing over to you so that you can run with it, you're either going to meet the expectations that we have, you're going to 
succeed, you know, blow, blow them out of the water or you're going to fall short. Those are just three outcomes. I mean, it's not even good or bad. It's literally expectation, action, outcome. Now think about what you would have done differently, regardless of the outcome. Mm. But what did you learn? How were you formed? What confidence did you get? What communication tools did you gain? And what feeling of satisfaction did you get by just looking back at a product that was done? Janitor, accountant, CEO, you name it. Even look at a prisoner. Let's go mm -hmm. to the depths of this. A prisoner who gets to work has a more fulfilling life than a prisoner who doesn't get to work. That's why these work programs within uh, you know, a prison system end up being phenomenal because these men and women want to be, for the most part, they want to contribute. They want to be challenged. They want to be able to show that they can overcome their own self, you know, barriers or, or false narratives. Mm. And then that's a reason to start to behave because now you have dignity and work when done rightly ordered work when done to the best of your ability is formative and dignified. I didn't come up with any of that, but I love the writings of Pope John Paul II. And I love just this concept that I'll go back to it. Co-creators. We weren't meant to sit around having the easy path and neither are your employees. They're meant to be given true responsibility, true agency. And you should support them and cheer them on when they do better than you expected. You should support them and cheer them on when they fail. Mm -hmm. Very few people are malicious in their outcome. It happens. It's rare. Address that. Yeah. But that's, that's the exception. But it's just business. <laughs> it's just business. Hey, don't let, don't let the monkeys run the zoo, Ron. That's, that's a really sweet thing to say to your employees. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you say to um like i mean what has to happen to somebody for them to wake up like they find themselves in a role of of influence and authority and and yet they're going through the motions and and they're getting a job done with a group of people that are getting the job done but it's a grind and we all know it's a grind the culture is kind of not that great but it could be worse but we know it's not that great um, and what does it take for a leader to wake up and say, you know what, I can, and I'm going to do something about this. Like, like, cause it's so frustrating for, for employees or what have you when the, when the person who has the, the capacity that the, the, the role that can make a difference is just asleep at the wheel. And those same employees that are frustrated are likely to become the leader who is frustrating everybody else later because mm -hmm. the cyclical nature of how you were raised and what was reinforced and how you got ahead in a culture like that. And we won't call that culture like completely black and completely dark, but it's certainly full of gray. So I would say two things to that. Number one, if there can be somebody in an organization, if somebody has the audacity to be a light in the world, a light shines pretty bright in the darkness. Amen. And so you could step out into this place of the return on investment of dignity, the dignity of all people, you know, the trust and love and care of the human being that you're helping to form through the work. You could step out there and yeah, you might actually lose your job over it, but think of the own, think of your own development when you take that risk, because chances are you're actually going to do really well and the team around you is going to do extremely well. And so that you become kind of the scoreboard that people are looking to, how is Ron doing this? Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of just take that risk. 
The other thing I would tell somebody is, let's say you are that leader and you're not even being honest with yourself. You think you're doing just fine. Let's go through an inventory. Go through the inventory of all the times that instead of talking with somebody and understanding what was going on, you yell at them. And when something doesn't work or doesn't comes up short, we say, who's getting fired for this? And we put locks on the doors so that nobody steals anything. And we go fill in the blank. Just ask yourself, how does that part resonate with you? When you're going to bed at night, are you telling your wife, man, I put locks on the doors today for the tool room so nobody would steal anything. And we're starting to count how many papers everybody's using when they print so that we can bust them if they print something personal. You know, like, does anybody ever go home and they feel satisfied? Or, babe, I really, I let three people have it at work today. I just, I ripped them inside out. You know, no, that person likely just thinks that's normal business. Now the inventory says, okay, what if you were to go and put time or, or energy into the opposite? So instead of, I'm just playing businessman, it's just business. What if I go out of my way to let people feel heard? I just want to make them feel heard. That's a gift. Or mm-hmm. take a moment to understand what's happening. Or slow down so that your instructions are clear and people understand the priorities around those and they're contributing to it. And see how you feel because you and I both know that the fruits of the Holy Spirit come when we're living in virtue. We end up in a place of joy, mm-hmm. patience, self-control, calmness. You think about all the compassion, all these gifts of the Holy Spirit. We didn't write them. They're on a book back here. When you feel those, now you're playing from a place of virtue. But when you have anxiety, frustration, anger, resentment, jealousy, uh, exhaustion, zero of those are listed in the fruits of the Holy Spirit. So therefore, they must be coming from vice. And if they're coming from vice, it's ego and pride in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And you, you're not going to get rid of it. So what behaviors, what challenges can you go through to have the antithetical behaviors to that prideful, egotistical way of managing people? Beautiful. You know, it's interesting. There's sometimes when... Uh... You know, whether it's my daughter or my son or other young people, friends of theirs, you know, when you're starting out in life, you, you're, you're often working low-end jobs, just, you know, get some experience and make a few bucks to get through school and give yourself some spending money and so forth. And, and I always find it a great joy when they find themselves in a really poorly managed business um, because there are just so many learnings when things... Yeah, I hope you have a bad job. <laughs> I hope you have a bad job because it will teach you what it feels like to be on the other end of a boss or a manager or a business owner who treats. Did you ever have a bad job, Ron? Did you have a bad job? I've had a lot of jobs, Jeff. As I was a young boy growing up, I was out, out working pretty early. Um, and it feels weird to say it because sometimes saying it is partially there's like a, was I wrong? You know, I took this yeah. job. I did this job. Was it a bad job? I had a, a bad job at a good company. I've had good jobs go bad. I, I've had some good careers start to go bad a few different times. They're great careers. You know, I heard it said one time, you know, your, your company is only as good as your manager. You know, so whoever the person is that supports you, that's going to be the, the, the tenure or the taste that, that's left in your mouth with whatever company you're with. That's who quits too. You quit your manager, not the pay. I mean, there other things matter a lot. But people quit their manager. They quit what they have to experience every day because they're, it's not human. It's just business. 
That's the name of this podcast. It's just business. Don't it's worry just, about it. <laughs> suck it up. It's just business. Hey, you know what I love? I'm going to keep going down that path for a second. Like, Please. You should, when you're telling a leader, hey, you should tell so-and-so good job. You know, they did a good job on this. Well, we're having a tough quarter. Yeah, but you should still tell this person good job. They're like, you know what? Or thank you or whatever. And they'll say, their paycheck is thank you enough. Oh, yeah. I'm like, what? You think a paycheck is thank you? What humanity is in a paycheck? And also, why wouldn't you say thank you and good job, especially as a leader, knowing that it costs you zero dollars, that there's an absolute positive return. There's never a negative return. So the free option of gratitude, yet we hold off for the most asinine reasons, but it's just business. Awesome. <laughs> it is awesome. I remember having a conversation with a priest one time and uh, he wanted this particular initiative. I can't even rem remember what it was, but I remember saying that's not going to happen because our staff is they're 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 redlining like that. We're, we're asking too much of all of them already. They're redlining and um, it's just not going to happen. Uh, and and he said, we pay them. <laughs> I said, yeah, we don't pay them in order that we can treat them like crap. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Look at, is, is, is that, so we treat our volunteers nice, but we get to treat our employees like crap because we pay them? We <laughs> bought them. The church is really bad about it because it's a place that people think they're going to that would be countercultural. But it actually ends up mostly being a harder version of the exact same thing they're getting in corporate America because they're making less money and being told those kind of things. Or worse, they're they're not treated like a human being. Nobody's worried about their you know personal needs along the way or when they're redlining, and they're told, "But this is for the mission. You're doing this for the church." Oh, and so now, geez. let's just slap another weird version of a guilt trip on there and all, all religious institutions do this to some degree but um you know i get a chance to talk in front of a lot of people in parish and diocesan work yeah. and their bosses are in the room <laughs> clergy's in the room and i'll say this stuff and you see people's heads start kind of moving but their eyes are going up and down like yes keep going this is exactly what i'm doing <laughs> and i'm a challenger i like to throw things in people's face just like you did kind of start this <laughs> off like it's just business i will put it on people just straight up, here's what you're doing and you don't even realize. I gave a talk to 35 priests this year and I said, when you think that you're just sending an email on Saturday because that's when you're working or on Thursday night, late at night mm -hmm. to your team, you are the head of your parish. And the people that see that are going to react to it even if they don't reply. And they're like, oh no, they should just read it tomorrow morning. I'm like, that's impossible. You're the head pastor of their parish. They work for somebody who works for you and you send an email, they're going to react. And by the way, if you told everybody, don't worry about this, but it's a Saturday. Well, what if me and Ron and four other people on there now, me and Ron are jumping on there. We're emailing back and forth, back and forth. Mm -hmm. Anybody who doesn't reply now looks like they're not working on Saturday. Like shame on you for going to that kid's game and not looking at your phone during the soccer game. And I said this in front of all these priests and they were all like, yeah, yeah. And I said, <laughs> I said, the excuse you'll give me is what about emergencies? Nobody ever has an emergency 
over, or, you know, what about emergencies over email? And I said, none of you can name an email emergency. Your phone rings or somebody texts you. And what do you know if it wasn't a bishop that raised his hand and said, Jeff, I have a, an emergency I got over email and I'm squinting at him. <laughs> and I was like, listen, very few people in the world are bishops. I'm not even going to tackle this with you. Okay. Good for you. You're the, ex- <laughs> you're the exception. So <laughs> you can get me on this. I love this contrarian. Like I'm going to tell you something you say, and then I'm going to tell you what that means to other people. Right. And if you keep drilling into those, it, mm-hmm. no one thing breaks somebody's back mm-hmm. or saves the day. Mm-hmm. But the idea of being intentional causes us to actually make our communication, build people up, create yes. clarity. Or I could just reply all and say, see below, <laughs> make you figure it out <laughs> or send passive aggressive notes like that. So, um, yeah, I was just there, like challenging people with that. Was there a point in your life? Like, you know, you're, you're talking about some of the great things you've done with the energy corporation and, and, and so forth and with some other not-for-profits and so on. Was there, was there a point in your life where, where you had to check or how did you come into that place of an undivided life? Was there a point in your life where you went, man, this isn't working, I can do better? Or was it a matter of this character trait and, and, and mentoring that you had that always kept you on that path? Tell me a little bit about that. It's like a good balance of both. And I'll tell you two stories. I'll tell you, uh, I'll call both of them bad. One of them, when I was in college, I got in some trouble. Then God gifted me with this incredible moment. I received a driving while intoxication arrest, and I was guilty. Mm-hmm. guilty. Then I was inspired, and I went off and started the nation's largest program to reduce drunk driving in any college town. It's at Texas A&M, and it's called Carpool. But when it kicked off, which was a miracle, by the way, it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, I had been going nonstop. I knew everything. Everything went through me. I had to juggle countless stakeholders. The third night of operations, I finally got hit by some exhaustion disease and I was hospitalized for a week. So they had to run the organization without me being able to even speak for a week after it initially started. And I went from being the smartest man in the room, the biggest asset to one huge liability because at that moment I didn't understand subsidiarity and agency and empowerment and why it's not just for my health, it's for the growth of other people but it's also for the health of your organization. So I learned a hard lesson there. And that that probably doesn't hit at the heart of what you're talking about here, but it, it's an important part of my formation because that's when I started to challenge, like just because I can, mm, should I, and, and who am I? And then I ended up in an energy company, beginning of electricity deregulation in Texas. And I figured out that people were moving in slow motion compared to how fast I could move. And so I just decided to wake up before them, go to bed after them, and get a 4.0 was my, my idea. I'm, I'm going to spend four years. I'm going to get straight A's and I'm going to understand this industry. And it was pretty quick that I was rising up through that organization. But I put it again all on my back, having not learned the lessons from mm-hmm. the, the college days. And I remember a couple of nights and one month I'd slept in my office. And then one of the heads of operations calls me at 10 o'clock at night. And he's kind of fighting me on something. I'm probably to blame. He's probably to blame a little bit too. And Ron, I start crying. I'm a grown man crying on the phone, shaking. It's like a fit of like exhaustion rage. And he said, are you okay? And I said, no, I'm not okay. You're at your house and I'm up in this office trying to make sure that we take care of all these clients and sales and all this stuff and all these people. 
And I remember the next day, it was like I got to, I was forced mentally to de-latch because I said to myself, how come I don't go outside when there's fresh air? Why am I not playing basketball? Like, where's the part where, what am I living for? So again, I go back to this trial and error or praying for wisdom. I've had money, I've had fame. I've performed off Broadway in New York. I mean, I've been treated like a celebrity all over the place. And I've dated, you know, when I was younger, I was dating around trying to, you know, feel like a cool guy and nothing ever satisfied or stuck or even built upon itself. It was so shallow and being important at work and having titles at work was so meaningless. And it, the feeling of it just slipped away as soon as you felt the excitement for two seconds. But every time I went on retreat and then in deep prayer and then in reconciliation and then in spiritual reading and then in community and then to the Holy Land and then to Our Lady of Guadalupe, brother, those things have never left me. Like, mm. I've only built upon that foundation. It's only been the love that satisfies. And I think I probably do more today than I've ever done in my life with a restful heart because it's not that I'm resting my heart in my own abilities. It's knowing and loving Jesus. And that allows me to have my seventh kid on the way. Divided <laughs> Life is really a bunch of different business lines that we launched all at once, including a really awesome podcast. And I feel very much like I'm right where God called me to be because I woke up today and I get to do it all over again. <laughs> That's beautiful. And congratulations on having your seventh. Uh, Thank you. Coming in that. January 24, brother. <laughs> that's a perfect hockey birthday. In Canada, we always think of birthdays in terms of hockey, and that's a beautiful hockey birthday. Well, we need to get this. If it's, if it's a little boy, I'll, I'll move to Canada so we can raise a superstar. <laughs> yeah, my I'm oldest, my oldest will be 10 years old when the new one comes. So seven that are ages 10 and below with no twins or triplets. So. And your wife's still the one that comes up with the good names and the good ideas. That's impressive. Every, she comes up with everything. She's <laughs> phenomenal. My wife has tuned into the Holy Spirit in a way I've never seen before. She told me the other day, we had a, actually a date weekend. We've never been away from the kids in three years. And we were just enjoying the College World Series. The bartender walks off and she goes, you need to help that man. The Holy Spirit just told me, like, he's looking, he's searching, former military. So he comes over and when he's talking, I said, hey, you know, I'd love to connect with you and introduce you to some people. And he said, is Jesus one of them? And I said, sure is. And he goes, well, cool. Cause I'm trying to meet Jesus. And I said, cool. Let me see if I can help you. Well, I email him that night and don't hear from him. Yep. Four weeks later, I email him. I said, I've been thinking about you. Here's a Bible verse that reminds me of the question you asked me. And he wrote back, I gave up on God today because I hadn't heard him speak back to me. I went for a walk without my phone and said, I'm done with this conversation. And I come back in your email sitting here. And the bottom of my email invited him to mass on Sunday. And he goes, see you at St. Anne's at 10 a.m. on Sunday. So, but that's my wife, brother. My wife can hear the Holy Spirit. You're a good tag team. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what? I can hear my wife. And I'm like, yes, ma'am. I love this. I think she's amazing. She's so wise that if she speaks, I'll do it. <laughs> she's a prophet. That's right. <laughs> she's connected. That Sends is right. You. That is so beautiful. That's so fun. Where, where, at what point did your faith, is your faith always like born cradle Catholic, cradle Catholic that had a reversion? Like, t tell me a little bit about when, when your faith started to matter more. I've always challenged myself to use the word reversion, but reversion, but I've never used it because I think cradle Catholic, poorly catechized, but I always envisioned that I would be 70 year old Catholic usher someday, that I would just be on this trajectory, <laughs> right? Maroon blazer 
opening the door, and I know every I know all the other old men, right? But back to what I said before, I kept testing all these waters and nothing satisfied. And then, um, of course, I started to get way more serious because it it was starting to take hold. And then, like having this vision of my family with my wife started to really get me serious about it. Getting married got me serious. And then what really happened is my first daughter was born. My wife had to have this surgery. The surgery was pretty crazy. And I was stuck in a hospital with my wife and I couldn't do anything but pray. And that's when I finally went so deep into prayer because it was so consistent and contemplative that it was otherworldly. And I made a bunch of commitments that were not bartering with God, not like if you get Amanda out of here or if only this. It was like starting next week when I'm out of here, daily mass, daily rosary starting today. Instead of working while I was there, I was reading books about saints and studying kind of their lives. And so the the trajectory I told you about, I made one of those gigantic jumps and then another one. And then I've just had those over and over with very few slips. But I now, I know too much to ever be dumb again. I have a long way to go to be, you know, at the depths of where God wants me to be. And I get to wake yes. up every day and keep trying. But it's the same thing with health. Like I now know enough about food and diet so that I can never go back to being unhealthy in what I eat. It's like my brain cannot handle going backwards that far. Mm. That's how I feel about faith. Beautiful. And so it was a time of tragedy and struggle that, that, that really brought you to a place of deeper prayer. And that deeper prayer led to something, led to a deeper commitment. And you know, if you don't have that before um, going into tragedy, mm-hmm. they can be harder, right? You could go either way. You can, your families can split up. Our fourth child, when he was born, his lungs didn't open. And um, Amanda never got to hold him. He uh, ended up being whisked off to the NICU. We never even knew the gender. So we were having this celebratory moment that Ambrose was born, but now she doesn't even get to hold him. And I can't even stay with my wife. I got to go with the baby. And it crashed more and more and more. And everything they tried wasn't working. They intubated. They put medicine in his lungs. They moved him. Now they sedated him, paralyzed him, put him on fentanyl. And started shoving air straight in his body, not even breathing it in and out. And um, I went to see my wife a little after midnight. And uh, the doctor came and got me less than an hour later to come and say goodbye to our son. But why do I share this part with you? As I pushed her in a wheelchair in the middle of the night, barely could see straight from how much I had cried that day. Again, neither one of us was mad at God or bartering with God. It was, Jesus, I trust in you, thy will be done. And we were moving pretty quickly because we wanted to have every second we could with baby Ambrose. And when we showed up, doctors were going to pick him up so that he could die in her arms. And they stopped us from at that moment and said, hold on, he's, he's not as bad as he was just a few minutes ago. And uh, I, did, I was going to baptize him, didn't. Mm-hmm. I texted a priest, and when Ambrose was 25 hours old, my priest buddy was up there baptizing him. His lungs were still not open. Things were still really bad. They had to put a tube in his side because his air and liquid was seeping out of his lungs now. And at noon, a little afternoon, I sent out a social media post and an email saying, my son was born, people of faith, pray for this boy and these doctors. And the very next x-ray, his lungs were open. Doctors were crying. Nurses were praying over him with me. People were bringing me relics from all different religious 
orders uh, and saints. When he was five days old, he came out of sedation. We held him when he was eight days old, and he met his siblings when he was 16 days old with, without any other follow-ups related to that moment. And my son, when I was changing him, I will tell you, uh, I was kissing that little wound on his side, and I realized that they had put tubes in his hands and both of his feet and pierced his side, and that he had the five wounds of Christ. And so my son Ambrose is now four years old. He's the middle of seven children. He's the reminder every single day that all of their breaths are miracles. And every kid that we get to hold on earth and the ones we never got to meet are miracles. And that everybody's on a journey we don't get to see behind the scenes. I share that with you because here we are. That's the most tragic day of my life. My son lived. (laughs) I've been through other tragedies where people didn't live. When I think of tragedy, I got pushed to the absolute edge of my ability, and really not my ability, my faith, to just completely trust and love God that his His grace is enough and his plan doesn't have to make sense to me. It still doesn't. I mean, Ambrose has touched people's lives, but I don't need to understand why. I just need to trust that God's got this and I'm his son too. Hmm. Jeff, if... Um... Thank you for sharing that. I, I can only imagine such a beautiful, happy continuation of the story, thankfully. But it's certainly a testimony to faith. I've been with people who've lost kids and and then have lost their faith as a result. And and I get it in the sense of the despair. But I don't know that in, you know, and hopefully they'll come back around at some point. But, but that... The solid nature of, of the, the shared faith that you and your wife have that was able to carry you through that difficult time, regardless of the outcome. I think that's cool. And I think that goes back to what you were saying earlier about business people and managers. And, you know, what if we could care for people regardless of the outcome? Like, what if we did the right thing regardless of the outcome? And, and what, how does that make you feel versus when you do the opposite? you know, we have a barometer built right into our conscience that helps us to understand if we're following God or not. Like it's, yeah. If, if I think it goes back to those good. fruits. You can feel it. Yeah. You can feel the fruits of the Holy Spirit in you. They, they yeah. manifest in you or they're absent in you. Mm. You know, if somebody cuts you off on the highway and you cuss, like where are you coming from in that moment? I'm not saying that, you're a bad person. I'm just saying like, what's going on inside of you that causes you to care that your car is behind a different car on a highway? Like just break it down to what it is. It used to be over here. Now the car's here. You were scared for a second. What if you speed up and get next to him? Show him I'm still driving. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, yeah, I think there's a lot in there, but I've been with, okay, so this is the table we podcast at. You can't see it, but it's, we call it our tiny table. Yeah. We put four people here. There's host, host, yeah, guest host. <laughs> oh my goodness. Our knees are like borderline touching while we're doing this, but as part of the shtick is like, we're so close. That it ends up being a religiously funny experience called the Beatted Dudes. But brother, we cover everything. It's just authentic fraternity with men seeking to grow and follow God's will through humor and holiness. We have people on here lost kids in the womb, one that lost a kid about three hours after birth. Recently, we had a guy on here whose daughter died 13 years old on the ski slopes, and he ended up starting 
the Taylor's Gift Foundation, both for organ donation registry, but also for uh, grief support and counseling for organ donors' families. Mm. We sat here and all of us cried on this table together, but I'm blessed because I keep finding my way into, into strong foundation friendships where the men and women I meet are growing stronger in death and tragedy and not losing their faith. But I think they're the exception. I think that, I think there's something about the way that we're living, that we're kind of a magnet for people that kind of hit that hard time, but not the ones that are losing their faith. I, if anybody's listening to this and they just want to talk because they lost a kid and they're struggling with faith, send them my way, Ron. I'll take that call any day. How do they get in touch with you? Easiest way is go to undivided.life. That's the URL, www, undivided.life. I would encourage people to follow my content on LinkedIn or connect with me there. Um, there's not many Jeff Shufflebinds in the world. I write thought content every day that's 100% based on the social teachings of the Catholic Church and Christian values in every walk of our life. They're both raw, vulnerable, challenging, uplifting, and it ends up leading to a really cool place where people people read and hear what they need to hear when they see it. And I've just become a bit of an apostolate to just write and share and see people come back to church, become a better father, re-engage with an estranged wife. I mean, pretty neat things happening. Men and women, people in the military saying, how do I practice my faith when nobody around me will support it? So really neat stuff there. So LinkedIn. Um, and then I'm not on any other social media. So I think those yeah. two. And then thebeatitudes.com. Uh, you can look that up with a D, not a T. And we're hard to find because Google will autocorrect you, but the Beatitudes is on every pod podcast platform and on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So look for us in uh, any of those platforms too. I love that. I'm really, I'm really hoping people do that because the charism that you have in terms of connecting the virtues with business and the life of a husband, an entrepreneur, it's an important voice. And if somebody's listening to this right now and they're not Catholic or maybe they are or not, they're not practicing, and, but they are a business person, they're competent like yourself, they did well in school, they had the capacity to socially move up through organizations and, and you know, start to achieve some of the things they thought would make them happy, but they're thinking to themselves, you know what, I, I don't, I think I'm leading a divided life because I don't experience those virtues in my life. And if I'm honest, I don't think I'm the best I could be towards the people around me. What was, what's the step they could take? Is there a book they should read? Just like absolutely connect with you through the, through the ministry that you have. What, is there anything else that you would recommend or what, what would your, what would you say to them? Yeah, I'll give you the starter kit and then I'll give you the two one, the starter kit. Well, I'm going to switch what my answer is. this. I want everybody in the world to read the book, Everybody Matters by Bob Chapman. This man is my business hero. Barry Waymiller is a company you've never heard of. Bob Chapman's a leader you've never heard of. And I could have told you 20 books that I've loved and I could have rattled off every detail of how I've applied them. And then this one landed in my lap and it is a game changer. And this man is a Christian man and an accountant who took over a family business, was doing okay, but nothing great. 
He bought 80 companies in the first decade, did zero layoffs, came into each one with his team and said, how can we make sure that everybody who works together recognizes that every one of their coworkers is someone else's precious son or daughter? And we should act like it. Remember when I was talking about taking the locks off the tools earlier? He is the perfect example of that. Or when he would sit with the CEO of a company that has 100,000 employees and he would hear about how that person gives out seven scholarships, full ride scholarships every year, and they're impacting seven people's lives. But he would say, what are you doing about the 100,000 that work for you every day or the 75 that work for you every day or fill in the blank? Like Mm -hmm. that's where it starts. I love books like Tribal Leadership. I love this PDF document put out by the Pontifical Council for Truth and Justice called The Vocation of the Business Leader. If you just typed that in, you'd find this PDF. Michael Naughton wrote it. It's uh, The Social Teachings of the Catholic Church for the Modern Businessman, and it it is a playbook. Those things are awesome. But if I want to find the most universal appeal, you could be deeper and smarter than me in every walk of faith and life and work, and this will nail you, or you could be on day one of your journey you will still get something incredible out of this book. So everybody matters. Wow. By the way, I got a hold of Bob Chapman one day. Yep. Somebody heard me give a speech. They said, do you want to meet him? Sure. We go back and forth forever. He finally gets on a Zoom call with me and we're talking. I said, Bob, I don't know what to say other than I feel like I finally found the person that I'm the junior version of you. Every word out of your mouth is exactly how I feel. And I give all these talks, blah, blah. Well, I send him one of my talks. He sends it off to a group of CEOs that now interact with me all over the world. <laughs> now he sends me YouTube videos, praises and worship videos to encourage me. And I'm like, buddy, I think you have 32,000 employees and <laughs> his investment arm has over 300 companies they bought and you're encouraging me through praise and worship music? It's beautiful. Isn't that something? There's a guy who walks what he writes, eh? That's right. Oh, that's so beautiful. Hey, finally, you finally got Canadian with me, Ron. <laughs> I've been waiting. <laughs> Didn't want to disappoint you before we wrap, wrapped up the podcast. Jeff, it's been such a treat having you on. It's it's fun. And I when I'm in Texas, boy, I'm going to be looking you up. And uh, Oh, you're yeah. going to be sitting in chair number three. <laughs> Knocking these at you and your buddies. Okay. Oh, yeah. People always say I'm, a, I'm intimidated to go on the Beatitudes. I'm not funny. And I say, we don't need you to be funny. Just be you. We'll take care of the rest. So I love that. Right. I love Well, listen, brother, God bless you. Continue the great work. Thank you for all the inspiration. I'm so inspired by what you spoke about today. I know our listeners will be too, because I deal a lot with Catholic leaders and also Catholic priests and bishops, and everything you've said applies to the clergy as much as it does Catholic businessmen. So thank you for all you do, and God bless you. God bless you. Thanks, Ron. If you guys enjoyed this show today, please feel free to share it, uh, send it to a friend, uh, give it a thumbs up, whatever you do that uh, shows your appreciation, ask a question. But if you also, just remember, if you've lost a child and want to reach out to Jeff, uh, that is a heartfelt thing that I think it's really helpful to journey with somebody who's also experienced that or, or close to that. And so anyway, God bless you in, in, in your pain uh, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye for now. I want to encourage you as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time. And remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for impact.